Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monster Hour. I am Quinn, your GM. Hello, I am Tio, and I play Claire Claremont, the... Do I remember this forgotten vessel? <laughs> It'll get easier with time. Yes. <laughs> it's only episode three. Like, yeah. Was, we're young and fresh. We're just new babes in a system. Get that new muscle memory in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I am Kyle, and I play Duncan Oliver the Vox. Hi, I'm Hannah, and I play Max the Paradox. Wow, I don't have to prompt y'all anymore. <laughs> I, this is amazing. You proud dad. <laughs> I love it. This is our big new change for season two. Is we just will go and introduce ourselves. Yeah, amazing. I love it. We are going to pick up with Duncan. <laughs> yeah. Duncan, the screaming fog billows in from the bay as though carried by an unseen gale, despite it being a perfectly pleasant evening without a hint of wind. Its form is a miasma of black, gray, and silver, somewhere between dense mist and smoke. You can see the vague contours of various human mouths forming and dissipating amidst the rolling fog bank, as the streets of somewhere are filled with a cacophony of wretched screams. What do you do? Cry. <laughs> That's the second time one of your responses has been cry. Teal got that one in season one. I've got two of the three now. Hannah, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Never. Never. <laughs> he sees the screaming fog, and even as he's acting, there's like a tear that's falling from one of his eyes. There are people out, part of the search party, right, who didn't hear the thing about staying in your houses, even though now I know the bus goes through houses. <laughs> the Yeah, the members of the search party, they pretty explicitly didn't heed your broadcast since they were still searching for the bus. And so, yeah, there's about yeah. a dozen, somewhere between a dozen and two dozen people who are forming a loose network on the streets around you, searching in, in pairs or groups of three. Now, this may be building the world myself a little bit, but I feel like this community... By all means. ...would have some sort of warning system about the Screaming Fog, as it is not a new threat. I think that's probably safe to say. We had an announcement earlier this morning about how to prepare for it. Now that I've seen it coming, since no other sirens are blasting right now, I presume I'm the first one to see it, and my responsibility is to act to hit the warning. Maybe that manifests in little lights on telephone poles with down lights over them. Yeah. Run and hit that button, and the signal runs up along those telephone poles, which maybe they don't even carry phone lines anymore. It's just this signal, and okay. it propagates from pole to pole, multiple poles, spreading across a network across somewhere as screaming fog warning sirens kick on. So is this like a siren alarm system, or is this a push-button telephone tree that calls every phone in the town? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny, but seems very difficult to make in a ramshackle sort of this town has to build everything for themselves manner. Here's what it is. It goes from pole to pole. All these poles are wired up and people can pull wires from the pole to their house. And if any button is pushed, the signal for screaming fog incoming is sent out. And it's been kind of up to local people with their houses or neighborhoods to build whatever their siren is going to be. So some of them are klaxons, your standard. They kind of maybe sound like an air raid siren. But some of them ring a bell. Some of them like shake a bunch of keys in the window. Some of them just wire up to their phone and they get a phone call. In all these different ways across the town, the word is spread. I love this. The only flaw in the system, but I like it, uh, is that... <laughs> 
Local kids press these alarms all the damn time. <laughs> oh, yeah, probably. But you run up and press the nearest alarm. You know, they're they're probably pretty well spaced, I would imagine, given the mm-hmm. frequency with which the screaming fog moves in. Yeah. And the alarms start to go on. Uh, I think, you know, a few doors down, you hear a telephone ringing. Mm-hmm. And then you hear it, it's like 101 Dalmatian style joined by like telephones sort of ringing all throughout the city <laughs> as we zoom out uh, all throughout the town of somewhere. Everyone's got their like bat phone for the screaming fog. Yeah. Uh huh. And at first, the response is a little lethargic. You see people looking around. They're, they're looking around for like who activated the yeah. nearest klaxon. And quickly it becomes evident because uh, the screaming fog is it's it's quite noticeable. <laughs> oh, the one thing I'll, I'll reckon is instead of a button, it's a, like a big throw switch. Love it. And quickly, folks begin to uh, scatter, taking cover. They're heading for, you know, the nearest building, nearest houses. There are people who are, like, knocking on random doors. Uh, A few members of this search party have pulled out what look like little spray cans. But you can see they're marked with, like, a red fingerprint. (laughs) And I think, you know, some folks carry, like, spray canisters with blood on them just in case they need to mark the sigils on the doors. And folks are rapidly taking cover. What do you do? Well, I don't want to be out in this fog. It's bad news. So I think the bus is a local threat to wherever the bus is as it moves around and moves through places. But this screaming fog is global. So it's a quick triage and Duncan has to try to run back to, if he can, if he can outrun the fog, if he's not too far, run back to the station in Sebastian. I think if you're going to go back to the station, you're not so far away that it's not doable. But I do think it's going to be tricky. Mm -hmm. I could see this being save your skin or face fear, depending on how you're going about it. Because you're both doing something risky in the face of fear or danger and also running, hiding or otherwise evading danger. So your call. Yeah. Do I know how long when the screaming fog rolls in? Is it just like a wisp of fog that hits the town and goes through? Or is it like, does it roll in and it's like, we're in for the night? It varies. (laughs) Great. As with many things in Somewhere and in Absurdia, there's not a lot of predictability. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there are folks who who study the patterns of the Screaming Fog, but, you know, just sort of what you would know from cursory knowledge, probably just that. I am a meteorologist. Wait, are you? (laughs) Well, I I report on the weather. (laughs) That's... Fair. No. I mean, I don't give me... get. I don't do. Th- I don't do the reports, but I have read every one of them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, give me a roll to assess reality. Super duper. That's fair. You've you've studied. That is a seven. Okay. On a seven and nine, hold one. What's my best route? Might be a good question, and I'll ask this not strictly in the way of like me, Duncan, get to radio station to be safe, but I am looking for people who are not going to be okay. Which is maybe, are there any dangers I haven't heard? Yeah, I was thinking that might be a, a better, better question, yeah, yeah, question yeah. but um, yeah, you can we, can, we can make that work. So I think that most, actually everyone really, everyone that you can see, they seem to be doing fine. Mm-hmm. The screaming fog is, uh, it's not uncommon. And I think that folks are willing to open their doors to almost anyone uh, mm-hmm. when it rolls through. What you do mm-hmm. see is... The woman with the jury summons is not taking shelter. Mm. She appears to be running away from the screaming fog, but also towards the direction that the bus was last seen. Right. Uh, Did I learn the exact text of the 
jury summon she has or did i just see it in her hand and kind of no see? you just you caught the big block print at the top i don't think you saw the whole thing okay my assumption is maybe she is not allowed to do anything else right now she doesn't seem to be taking cover yeah i want to try to get her in cover because she's gonna disappear into the fog otherwise how do you do that uh, she's just walking down the street or is she oh she's running now for sure I mean, she has seen the screaming fog. I think you can tell that much. So she's in a full sprint right now, but you can't outrun the fog. Like she's running in a specific direction or is she like panically searching for what I presume is the bus? Panicked, yes. Uh, I would say she's not so much searching as she is running in the direction it was last seen. Okay. Ooh, how do I make a little pop-up tent around the two of us (laughs) with blood on it? Things I never thought I'd hear anybody say for two, Alex. That's going to be this whole season. Get used to it. Here we go. We're going to get real weird. I mean, first attempt is run up and try to kind of like gently nudge her in towards a house and say, come on, we have to get inside. The fog is right there. You can't be outside. She definitely resists your gentle nudging, but uh, give me a roll to sway. Okay. When you offer an NPC a convincing reason to do something, roll plus cheek. Plus cheek. On a 10 plus, they'll do it for the reason you gave them. On a 7 and 9, they'll do it, but I will choose an option from the list below. Okay. I think because of the jury summons here, I'm going to give you a minus one, but it'll be canceled out by the plus one from your assess reality roll, so it's just right. your normal, normal roll. Yeah. Super duper. Yeah. Three, four, seven, plus two is nine. On a 7 to 9, they'll do it, but I will choose an option from the list below. Darn you, jury summons. They want more than what you're offering. They demand Uh payment up front. They have a, scare quotes, better idea for achieving your goal. Or they stall and dither for a while. I'm partial to they stall and dither for a while in this particular (laughs) instance. Because, and and you can see, she's holding this jury summons in her hand in like her clenched Mm -hmm. fist. And she's looking down at it, looking at you, looking at the screaming fog and looking in the direction she was running, which you have to assume she thinks she can sort of find the bus that direction. Mm -hmm. She she doesn't even say anything to you, I think. She's just frantically alternating between these perspectives. And the fog is probably 10 blocks away at this point. Yeah. Those screams are getting louder. And you can see, like, the faces, like, several stories tall, sweeping over and, like, engulfing buildings within their mouth or their eyes or their gaseous forms overtaking these structures of somewhere. I tried to hold her hand with the jury summons in it very warmly and look in her eyes and with some big, like, dad energy. (laughs) (laughs) I say, I promise I will help you take care of this, but right now we need to get you inside. And kind of pull her hand with her. Let's go. Come on. We got to get it. We have to get inside. That's just what has to happen right now. I know that is important. And I promise we will take care of it. I will help you do that. She stuffs the jury summons in her pocket and takes your hand. Yeah, we just go to the nearest house and kind of bang on the door. Or if the people are just like, come on, come on, come on in. Then we go right in. You bang on the door and there is no response. The fog just a few blocks away at this point. I presume it's too close for me to get to the station. Oh, much, much too close now. You've got seconds. This door's got blood on it? Yeah. Great. I'm going to kick it in, and we're going to go inside. Cold move. Give me a roll to face fear. 
Quinn, can I sway the door? Uh, I'm afraid not. Face fear. When you attempt something risky in the face of fear or danger, roll plus pluck. I think to knock this door down. Mm -hmm. And also, I assume you would like to get it back up before the fog gets here. Yeah, it's it's kind of aiming for like the latch. I'm not aiming to knock the entire door off its hinges. I'm just trying to open it. Yeah, face fear. Roll plus pluck. Dive in and then lean again, like hold it shut. Okay, I would like to, because this seems pretty life or death, I would like to use my integrity to push it. Yeah, so when you push yourself, you mark one of your essence for the Vox, that is integrity, and Mm -hmm. you get to roll 3d6 and discard the lowest result. Perfect. Come on, baby. That is a 9. On a 7 and 9, I will offer you a worse outcome, a hard choice, or a price to pay. Either... You're going to be outside when the fog rolls in. This woman is going to be outside when the fog rolls in. Or the door is going to be open when the fog rolls in. Wide open. Open enough that some of it will get in. Just a little bit. Oh, none of it getting in is good because it's just going to spread. Yeah, I kick it open and I shove her in. Okay. Pull my little jacket with all its pins up around my face. Duncan, give me a roll to embrace chaos. Okay. When you contend with a source of entropic power, roll plus chaos. On a 10 plus, choose two. On a seven and nine, you choose one, and then I choose one. Oh, boy. My favorite move. That is a seven. On a seven and nine, you choose one from the list below, and I choose one. That list is, you gain a clear understanding of the power's source effects and motives, if any. You quell the power's effect or fan its flames. You briefly wield this power's effect. You subvert this power to achieve your ends. Take plus one forward. You inflict or heal one harm on a nearby target. That can include yourself. Or you mark or erase one essence. I'm going to choose you gain a clear understanding of the power's source effects and motives. Interesting. Okay. The fogs scream and whip over Duncan. He looks into it. He faces it. Okay. Give me a second. Looking into the abyss. (laughs) I'm going to throw something out and tell me what you all think. Because I I haven't sure. decided this yet. So I'm jumping the gun. No, collaborative game. And if you all have ideas, let me know. I'm going to be doing this a lot. So feel free to like build this world with me. Sure. Duncan, the Screaming Fog is a manifestation of the very first scream that ever existed in humankind. Its effect is to scream. It is always screaming. Mm. And its motivation tied, tied into its effect here is to grow, to scream more loudly, to have more join in the chorus of screaming. Perhaps mm. unsurprising, the folks who have disappeared into the screaming fog have become part of this symphony of shrieks, this wretched choir of wailing. The screaming fog is screaming. It is fear incarnated and if you stay here long enough you will join it as you hear all of these screams echoing around you my option is i'm going to have you go ahead and mark one essence duncan clamps both hands over his mouth and nose and squints his eyes and tries to focus i can move around right i can still kind of it's just really really like thick fog or can i there's no physical reaction at least like in terms of force applied to you Mm -hmm. it's just this din of of screaming and every pitch and tone imaginable this uh, horrible cacophony 
the longer you stay here, the more you do start to feel like you're losing your sense of like where you are and Mm -hmm. what direction is which Mm -hmm. and what you're supposed to be doing. You start to get goosebumps on like your arms and down your back and your neck as these Mm -hmm. screams just echo over and over and over again. I hope that it has been a moment long enough for the woman to get a little further inside. And I'd like to, as fast as I can, while keeping one hand over my mouth, pop the now unlocked door open slide and slam it shut leaning against it and slump to the floor yeah i don't think there's a roll here you just push open the door very quickly and and slam it shut again and there's a few like wispy tendrils of this like dark gray light gray silver fog that slide in and you shut the door and they just sort of dissipate into nothingness yeah i just slump to the ground and cry (laughs) inside you see the woman with the jury duty summons she is Sitting up against the wall, her teeth are sort of chittering and clattering, and she's holding the summons note clenched tightly. I give her a thumbs up from the floor. (laughs) She looks at you and she smiles wanely and says, thanks for doing that. Yeah, maybe just as I don't want to, you know, tell you how to live your life. But next time the sirens go off, maybe just hop inside. I tried. I wanted to. Yeah. What does that say? On your summons. She clutches it closer to her chest. I can't know. I'm not supposed to tell anyone or show anyone. You know how it is. Okay, I do. Yeah. Duncan has never had a jury summons. He (laughs) feels weird about it. It's like something's wrong. Everyone he knows has had jury summons. (laughs) He's never had jury summons. Are you a little bit jealous? Do you wish you had a jury duty summons? Truthfully, me, Kyle, kind of a little bit. (laughs) I've also never had a jury summons. I just had one, and I didn't get picked. Oh. I know. Jerks. (laughs) That's very disappointing. You're like, that man is a podcaster. He can't be impartial. (laughs) (laughs) What's that? You broke a seal of magic in your show? Mm, We can't be part of this case. (laughs) Send all the wizards out, too. Duncan is maybe a little, little jealous, mostly just because he wants to know what goes on. He's curious. This woman isn't, you know, exceedingly talkative, so. No, I, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Duncan's just talking to himself, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I never had jury summons. Uh, A little jealous about it. I always want to know what it's like. Can you tell? No, you can't tell me what it's like, can you? Mm. Do you get, have you had jury summons very? No, you can't tell me that either. Okay. (laughs) If you would like to make a sway (laughs) roll. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, If you're, I mean, if you're legitimately trying to convince her to talk about it or, or show you. Go ahead and make a sway roll. Yeah, and I'll use my natural interviewer move. Oh, yeah, or or uh, use that. Which I maybe used on her earlier. <laughs> yes, you did, I think. <laughs> Great. So she knows all about it. For listeners who don't know all about it, when I engage someone in conversation with an angle for information, I roll plus cheek. On a 10 plus, I hold two. Seven to nine, hold one. Spend to ask one of the following questions. A question from Assess Reality. What does this person want? What do they fear or worry about? What does this person not want me to know? And is this person lying to me? On a miss, mark one integrity or mark this person down as a rival. Okay. So I'm doing natural interviewer with an angle to try to coax the information out without forcing her to explicitly get herself in trouble with the council. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Oh, no. I rolled a four, plus two is six. Mm. I, every now and then I scream a little bit in this interview. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, every so often, as you're asking questions, you just let out a full-throated scream. <laughs> and little little bits of, like, wispy smoke come out with it. I'll leave it up to you. Would you rather mark one integrity mm. or mark this person down as a rival? Mm. Going through a bunch of integrity. Way faster than I should, but I don't want this person as a rival. They seem, like, pretty good. I'll mark an integrity. Okay, mark another integrity down. Yeah, uh, I gotta get going re- exposing secrets and truths here. Yeah, don't forget that you get to clear all of your marked essence if you trigger your the refresh for your playbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the Vox, that is expose a hidden secret or truth. Oh, oh, speaking of things we can do on our playbook, I'm sorry, Quinn. My agenda is Beacon and Inquisitor. I think one or both potentially applies with what has just happened. I don't know if you want to do those as they happen or... yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't have to call them out every time, but I think in this case, uh, since it's the first one, yeah, I think Beacon, you may not be a fighter, but you are a symbol of hope, Mark Experience. When you put yourself in harm's way to take a stand against chaos and entropy, yeah, 100%. Totes. You'll get to the bottom of things no matter what, uh, Mark Experience, when you act callously or maliciously to get the truth. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you didn't get yeah. the truth, but you did act callously and maliciously questioning her so um yeah so go ahead and mark down two experience fulfilling both of your agendas i think you're questioning this woman and she's looking more and more reticent and finally i think she like turns to you she'd been looking away and she turns and hisses and four ribbons of red tape come out of her mouth uh as this hiss erupts and like cuts through the room and then quickly they snap back in and she looks away ashamed and dejected oh uh, sorry ma'am i didn't mean to push it's okay i'm done i'm done i think uh i think we'll like go to your house or like (laughs) okay i'm done no that's it that's it i'm done Hey folks, Quinn here. Quick intermission today because I'm recording this one on vacation in a cabin in the woods, and I want to get back to that. Thank you to everyone who's helped us spread the word about the show by leaving us a rating and review, giving us a shout on social media, and recommending the show to a friend. The reception for season two has been absolutely unreal. We are closing in on a big milestone that I'm hoping will hit by our podversary on August 2nd, and that wouldn't be possible without your support. Don't forget that if you tweet about the show using hashtag MonsterHourPod, you might discover that you are actually named after a character in the show. Characters like Andrew the Nocturnal Alligator, named after at ChaoticGoodTime on Twitter. A special shout out to the latest members of WSOM's Eternal Pledge Drive, aka our Patreon, Jaguar and Family, Satvik, Daniel, and the Druid's Eye and the Seer's Rose. A huge thank you to all of our patrons for supporting the show and helping us bring you new and better content. Our Community Spotlight this week is $2 Creature Feature, a Monster of the Week actual play podcast with not one, but two excellent campaigns. The enigmatic escapades of Severus Savardi's traveling funfair in Season 1, and the mysterious happenings of Jupiter's Hollow in Season 2. Grab some popcorn and find your seats. Monster of the Week actual play podcast $2 Creature Feature returns for Season 2 on February 22nd. This season, we'll see a whole new crew of hunters confronting the mysteries at the heart of the town of Jupiter Hollow. I'm Megan Murphy. I'm playing Zelda Wardwell 
a flake. Oh, wait. I'm supposed to protect people, too. That's like what heroes do. I'm Nyalder, playing Eric Ashrin, the crooked. Let's just say I don't ask questions that involve textbooks. I ask questions that involve cash. I'm Laura McMillan, and I'm playing Tammy Jo Marple, your hometown home finder. I'm here to make deals with the good people of Jupiter Hollow. But I already made a deal of my own. Tammy Jo is the monstrous. And I'm Mr. Ray. I play everything that tries to kill these people. And if you enjoyed our first season, you ain't seen nothing yet. New episodes every other Tuesday, wherever podcasts are found. That's all we've got for you this week, dear listeners. Tune in July 26th, the next broadcast of WSOM. Radio Somewhere. Let's jump to Max. Yes. Hello. Here I am. Do you, we want to, uh, Quinn, to, we had talked off mic about, I have a paradox move that I'm supposed to use at the very start of an adventure. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot yeah, right. to do. So I'd like to do that now so that we can get this out of the way. As my paradox, one of my moves is called Temporal Anomaly. At the beginning of each disturbance, I roll plus chaos. If I get 10 plus, it's hold two. On seven to nine, hold one. I get to spend my hold at any point to declare a specific event that will happen in the future. I gain plus one ongoing on any action to make that event meaningfully more likely to transpire. If it comes to pass as I described, I get to get rid of all my anomaly. And if it becomes no longer possible, I mark three anomaly because it hurts my time traveler brain. <laughs> yes. And my heart. And really, it's the, it's the heartache that hurts the <laughs> it's most. It's the country song that'll come out of the show. <laughs> it's my time traveling heart. <laughs> don't break my heart. My time traveling heart. I just <laughs> yeah. don't think you'd understand. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Complexities of time and space. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to roll that now. Yeah, uh, go ahead and give me a roll plus chaos. Yes. Uh, uh, that's a nine. Okay. On a seven nine, you get to hold one. So at any point during this disturbance, you can declare that a specific event is going to happen in the future. Okay. Yeah. Max, you have landed flat on your back in another section, sort of stable section of this very strange bus. This section is a, a sort of steep parabolic arc that curves back up over you so you can see the rest of the section looking up from where you are. Uh, there's a handful of passengers in, in scattered, distorted seats around you. And standing over you is your rival, Elodie Saberhagen. Yay. Tell me a little bit about Elodie. Elodie is very tall and very striking. Whereas Max has kind of adopted this, like, I don't know, I wear whatever feels comfortable. And so that means I'm wearing clothes from a lot of different eras. Elodie picks a specific distinctive look and stays with it for a while, even when she is traveling to a place where that look would be anachronistic. So right now, she's in full male Regency clothes. Her hair's all tied up. I mean, she looks really good. I love this idea that she's just in, like, absolute high fashion, no matter what era. Yep. Ruffs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Elodie also is never, like, it's been a real bumpy road for Max, learning how to, to travel through time. And Elodie seemingly has never had a real difficulty with it. 
and has always felt both like literally and metaphorically one step ahead. And when Max fell out of time and got stuck here, Elodie was just like gone. And it's been kind of, um, I don't want to say a frenemy relationship because that implies that we sort of grudgingly get along. Like Elodie and Max have never gotten along in any respect. And frankly, the fact that Elodie can still probably time and space travel while I'm stuck (laughs) here is real, real, like really grinds my gears. Really, really ruffles my jimmies. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so... Elodie is standing over you. She's wearing her her full regalia, which is ridiculous, but she is absolutely slaying. And, you know, I'm going to say purely on name alone, she's definitely carrying a saber. I also like the the interplay between your Zweihander and her saber. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she has a, a saber uh, and she has turned. I, I don't even think she's turned around. She's looking over her shoulder at you. The tip of her saber is kind of inching towards your prone position. Okay, so the saber is inching towards me, and Max just, like, bats it away. Elodie doesn't resist it, just kind of lets you move the saber away, and she smiles a very sort of thin, sneering smile and says to you, Max, I should have expected that you would show up. Yeah, I mean, I probably... Were you going to help me off the ground or what? (laughs) She extends a hand downward towards you. Quinn, if you fucking drop me. If she fucking drops me, I will chop her hand off. (laughs) And I I look at her and I'm communicating that with my eyes of like, if you drop me, I will chop your hand off. I will do this. And I grab her hand. She foists you up and pulls you in close to her, like cheek to cheek and says, (sighs) I don't need to drop you when I can move in dimensions you can't even contemplate. What are you doing here, Elodie? And I let go and kind of like wipe the hand off a little bit of my trousers. She looks at you with a hint of exasperation and holds out both of her hands and just gestures to everything around the whole twisted reality of the interior of the bus and says, you don't even recognize a time anomaly when you see one, Max? I mean, yes, I did recognize a time anomaly. I recognized the time anomaly when the time anomaly came fucking crashing into me. Now I'm here, stuck in it. But, like, don't you have better things to do? Better places to be since you can be there, Elodie? Bad enough I'm stuck in this place. Merit's investigating. Anything that violates the laws of space and time, well, I have to at least understand it if I'm going to permit it to continue existing. Wait, what? You're... you're... I need to know if this bus poses a threat. To what? Your sense of style? Oh no, that's impeccable. Nothing threatens that. Did I make her did I make her too much of a rival? No, no, no. This is I have a rival. I have a rival. This is what happens when you have a rival is you spend a lot of time grinding your teeth about it. Well, I'm going to go investigate. The temporal anomaly. So, there. God damn it, I really gotta work on my zingers. <laughs> I just, I gotta... Oh, it's okay, you'll get there with time. Oh, shit. God damn it. And she flashes a cheeky but also, like, condescending grin. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I can't let you go traipsing around without a chaperone, so uh, why don't we team up this one-time special? I'm older than you. Irrelevant. Don't need a chaperone. Not an infant. In some point in time, you are an infant, and therefore, as far as I'm concerned, you always will be. Uh, Max takes out the Zweihander and is just, like, holding it. Maybe just doing, like, a deep breathing exercise. Like, <laughs> inhale peace, exhale bullshit. Inhale strength, exhale bullshit. Elodie's got her, her saber out already, but you can see, like, when a cat's tail starts to twitch when something has their attention, you can see it sort of spring to life a little bit, and she eyes you very carefully. I look at my sword and I go, it's okay, you're prettier. I know. Fine. Fine. <laughs> Jackie keeps telling me I should start fucking journaling, but her goddamn journals are alive. Maybe if she can get me one that's not gonna growl at me, I should start journaling about this. Fine. Which way to the time anomaly, Elodie? Well, this whole thing is the time anomaly. We just have to investigate scope and scale. I suggest heading further towards the back, unless you'd like to retrace your steps. No, there's, uh, there's actually nothing interesting up there. I was already there. It's just, uh, just a big old bus. Fine. I'm going first. By all means. God damn it. All right. And we go deeper into the bus. If this were a cartoon, Max would have like one of those like little squiggly black clouds over her head. <laughs> and, you know, depending on how time anomalous this gets, if we end up in like an alternate universe where we're all cartoons, there is legitimately just a little like angry cloud over Max. Yeah, I like to imagine the scene as a cartoon panel, whereas like Elodie is, you know, the cartoon skip where there's little like flouncing motion drawings. Yes. Uh, that's Elodie. Yeah. All right, we're going to explore further into the bus. Quinn, take us towards the time anemone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Max, you continue down this section of the bus. It's sort of like a curved parabola that bends back on itself. So by the time you reach the end, you're actually looking up at the space that you sort of entered into. There's another handful of people in this section. I think they're mostly from like the 80s and 90s. And again, they're all just frozen in, in time. If I go up to them, are they just actually frozen? Can I interact with them at all? Like if I go up and like wave my hand in front of their face or poke one of them or like what happens if I do that? I would like to do that. Quinn, sure. I want to go poke somebody. Yeah, uh, nothing happens when you like go wave your hand in front of them or anything. But uh, when you poke one of them, go ahead and give me a roll to embrace chaos. When you contend with a source of entropic power, roll plus chaos. Ooh, love that. Okay. Uh... Oh, hey, these dice are doing pretty fucking well. Uh, that's a 12. Okay, on a 10 plus, you get to choose two from the list below. Okay. Uh, one more time, those are... You gain a clear understanding of the power's source, effect, and motives, if any. You quell the power's effect or fan the flames. You briefly wield this power's effect. You subvert this power to achieve your ends. Take plus one forward. You inflict or heal one harm on a nearby target, or you mark or erase one essence. Um, I would like to briefly wield... No... If you choose briefly wield this power's effect... Do I turn uh, into a bus? No. <laughs> uh, you, can un, you can unstick this person for a brief period of time. 
Okay, let me do that. I would like to briefly wield this power as a fact. And uh, I'm guessing also that being able to control time at least a little bit probably feels really good to Max. Probably feels feels right. Feels natural. She's missed yeah. this. Yeah. Feels good. Cool. Um, they're not holds, but you can hold on to your second one for if you want to wait I'm for go- a minute. Yeah. What person did you go up to? Someone with like 80s or 90s vibes. Uh, somebody who is wearing a lot of flannel. Okay. Was that an 80s or 90s thing? That's a 90s thing. 90s. Okay. Right. Ni- 1990s, right? Not 1890s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? No, okay. that's that's the next next car on the bus. Um <laughs> smells yeah, that's Nirvana. Yep. Yeah. Uh yeah, okay. So you've got a Nirvana wannabe and you press your hand against him. What does it feel like? I mean, time travel itself is kind of a whole body experience. It's a demand on all of the senses. And when it goes right, it feels good. And when it goes wrong, like that it can be anywhere from like physically uncomfortable to painful. When Max fell out of time, like she was had significant GI upset for like a week. It's extremely unpleasant. So I think unpausing this person from time is a little bit of that like good vibes only time travel, but just a little bit. And it's like a taste of it. It's not the full thing. So I think when Max reaches out and kind of touches this person and is able to wield the bus's power. It feels like a little warm and tingly in the hands and upper extremities, but that's going to be the extent of it, because this is not full time and space travel. This is just like an amuse-bouche of time travel. Yeah, this guy, his hands were sort of like held up a little bit, almost looked like he was going to be like boxing someone. Uh-huh. Uh, and when you when you touch him, he starts like moving slowly at first, but then you can see he's drumming and uh, you, he's got a like a portable uh, CD player and headphones in. Yeah. And uh, so he springs back to, to drumming. Uh, but then after a few seconds, he looks at you curiously like, hey, what's going on? And then he turns and vomits. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's some bad, <gasps> bad time travel. Oh, man. Yeah. I have such a hangover. That too. Uh, oh. hi. Hello. Hey, uh, what's up? Uh, how are you? Um, uh, where, where's this bus going to? I'm not from around here. Oh, I was going to the, to the skate park to see my, my, my bros. We were going to shred. Uh, in, in what? city or town or or what uh well somewhere oh okay all right okay so so you're gonna go to the skate park with friends how long have you been on the bus oh like i don't know minute or two i just got on okay uh where did you catch the bus uh fourth and cherry yeah yeah. Oh, fourth and cherry. Okay. And yeah. uh, 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 Quinn, do people have an idea of like what year it is, or is time very relative here? Like, if I asked this person what year it was, would they um, know? Or yeah, what's the? Yeah, I think I think that folks have a relative sense of what year, day, month it is. But yeah, time is a bit relative here, as you know. Yes, everything's relative, sir. And and I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. Uh, don't call me sir. That's my dad's name. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Sir. No, Mr. Sir is my grandpa. Ah! Oh, <laughs> sir, you like Sir Junior? Is that it? Yeah. Okay, Sir Junior. Yeah. Sir the third. Uh, sir third. <laughs> sir Junior, what year is it? Oh, it's uh, it's 1991. Interesting. 
What if I told you it was not 1991? It was actually oh, two, two, 2020, 2019. Whoa, yeah. they're like flying cars. Are they like dope CDs now? Yes, there are. Uh, how do you get off the bus, Sir Junior, if you wanted to get off the bus? I don't really see how we get off the bus. Pull the stop cord. And he reaches up and pulls a bit of thread that's just kind of running, not attached to anything. Uh-huh. Uh, and nothing happens. I would like to reach up and pull it and see if anything happens. Uh, no. Oh, okay. All right, I just kind of, I look at Elodie and I got a shrug, like, all right, well, I, I trade the magic cord. Uh, let's yeah, see. Yeah, she's looking at you somewhat intrigued. I'm looking at the window also to see if, you know, uh, standard buses have, there's usually some kind of emergency stop, emergency brake, something like that. And the windows have a specific thing where you can like, there's usually a handle at the bottom. And if you pull it, it takes out the rubber so that you can then push the window out. Do any of these windows appear to have an exit, an emergency exit, anything like that? Uh, yeah, you could open the windows. Quinn, I would like to open a window in the time vortex. Yeah. You and the window are disassembled. <laughs> um, yeah, you open one of the nearby windows. I think as, as you're doing this, the person you were talking to is kind of like slowing down and, oh. and they actually just go back to being stuck. You pop open a window and you start to immediately feel like a bit of a pull. And as you're looking, actually, you start to see something protruding from your face. It takes you a moment to realize, but your nose is getting longer. Oh, I'm getting sucked down to the void. It's okay. stretching like that boot thread uh-huh. uh, out into the inky blackness. Okay, I take, I, I, take a, I take a step back. I take a couple steps back. Yeah, you step backwards, but your nose is still being pulled it's it's getting longer and you're moving further away, but it's not the the point that's being pulled outward isn't moving further away from the window. You still have one option on Embrace Chaos. As a fan of your character, I would encourage you to use it. <laughs> yes, I would like to quell the power's effects. So okay, that I what get does this look nose, like? <laughs> I get my nose back. I think maybe with like the last residual bit of time travel, time ability to pause this. Max kind of puts her hands up and, like, just to kind of maybe block the essence, the inky blackness of being lost in time and space into a black hole, kind of puts her hand up and maybe braces against that and is able to, like, then take a step back and the nose kind of, like, snaps back into place like a wow. <laughs> Rubber nose. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, you do that. And I think Elodie steps forward and, and grabs the window that you dislodged and uh, pushes it back into place. And she looks back at you and says, best not. I'm standing there and I'm kind of like readjusting my nose and I have this Y hander up and I'm like trying to check my reflection in it. <laughs> yeah, your nose is back to normal. Okay, does it look, Elodie, does it look, it's, it's it feels Same like, as it ever was, my dear. Okay, it's not broken. Same as right. it ever was. Yep. Still We should still keep working. moving. Fine! I'm just concerned about my face. Yes, I... I, I don't let her get an answer, and I just keep stomping back towards the back of the bus. 
I think the two of you reach the end of this curved section, and then there's another sort of elongated jump between bus sections, and the two of you step through. Claire, you just finished up a conversation with your friend Walker, where they told you about an old urban legend that buses used to actually have designated stops where they would stop. There aren't any of these bus stops left as far as they know, but if you were able to find or make one, it might help you track down the bus. They also told you to consume the heart of the bus, and then they were sucked back into the depths of the forest, leaving you alone by the smoldering remains of your campfire. What do you do? Well, I mean, it sounds like what I need to do is make a bus stop. Now, how I go about doing that is a very different kind of question. Question. I'm looking at my sheet real quick to try to see what I could possibly. Yeah, so the bigger picture faction moves would probably come into play or could come into play here. Gather yes. information, call for aid, something along those lines. I am tempted under call for aid to either go with like a bureaucracy or an entropy move. The bureaucracy being like, if I can look up the because there haven't been any bus stops in a long time, but I wonder if like there's a historical record of where they used to be. So maybe there's some some sort of like power in rebuilding one where it used to be. Yeah. So that would be one thing where I would want to like go probably to like the county clerk's office or something and pull up the the historical records. Um, the other one would be the more entropy route, which I'm wondering if there's like a given the nature of this town if there's a it's like a psychic but a city psychic and so you go to them to learn like the same way that you would need to like turn in an application to the city in order to like build a new attic or whatever this is like an occult psychic type person that you go to and you're like i want to do this in the city and they tell you like which gods you have to pray to first and all of the like blood ritual sacrifices you have to do in order to be able to not have affordable housing in your building or whatever. Um, <laughs> Horrible. So, but also, yeah, <laughs> they're like a consultant, but for the occult. So um, the occult consultant. Uh, so they might be a different, a little more fun route I'm looking to build a bus stop. What's the best way to do that in this city? Where do I put it and how how do I make it? Yeah, I think you that know? one, the second one would actually probably still be bureaucracy. Within the the bureaucracy, there are, are practitioners of, of Byzantine arcana called biromancers. Oh. And I think some sort of like city psychic, as, as you've sort of described, could definitely be like some type or speciality of, of biromancer. I know you're angling for entropy, but I think either one of those probably would would fall under bureaucracy. Okay, then yeah, I definitely want to go seek out the city psychic. Yeah, so Claire, you you start traipsing out of the forest. How deep into the woods did you go? Only like probably like 20 minutes in. I don't think that uh, I own shoes that can do more than like an Instagram shoot (laughs) worth of wood time. Okay, okay. So you start traipsing out of the woods, and I think as you reach the edge and you start to sort of gain some clarity, you can see a little bit further out, you see a mass of dark charcoal gray and silver fog 
rolling in through town, kind of coming from the opposite direction as you headed your way. It's got a ways to go, but Mm -hmm. the screaming fog is coming. Ah. And it's very much in your way of reaching City Hall. Okay. Since I'm on a bit of a mission, I think what I want to do is run for one of the well-known hidden tunnels underneath the city. Okay. There's this little thing in Claire that kind of likes to, as we know, embrace chaos. And so her immediate instinct, if she wasn't on a mission, her instinct would be to stand out in the middle of the street and essentially goad or taunt the forces of nature at play here and see what happens (laughs) and see if it can call upon her, you know, her intrepid horror a little bit. But she has a mission. She knows it's going to take all day and she still has like three photo shoots to do of the latest youthful glow eyeball cream that she has. So two questions. So she's yes. Do you apply the cream directly to your eyeballs? Question one. Of course. Beauty is pain. And question two, do they literally make your eyeballs younger? Oh, yeah. You do get better vision. Okay, so it's like fountain of youth, but only for your eyeballs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, not everything on the website is bad. You know, a couple of, of a couple of the things actually work. Of course, every time that you use it, something around you dies. So you want to keep like a plant available and you touch the plant and then you put the cream on and you kill the plant. Look, again, beauty is pain. <laughs> Of course. Yes. What are you going to do? That's life. But anyway, yes. Okay. So so she's kind of thinking about her to-do list and she's got to get this handled. So yeah, she's going to run for the closest entry point into the underground tunnels. Yeah. Give me a roll to save your skin when you take advantage of an opening. You've got a little bit of time before the screaming fog reaches you to run, hide, or otherwise evade danger. Roll plus wits. Okay. Which is not my strong suit. It is indeed my worst suit. Oh, no. (laughs) That's a two. That's a big fat two. Yikes. Yikes, Arani. On a miss, you might find yourself in an even worse predicament. Uh, (laughs) Worse than the screaming fog. Okay. Claire, tell me about this secret tunnel that you're heading towards or looking for. There are a couple of uh, structures from the original days of the town that were fairly new still when Claire first lived here that now have become like historical landmarks. And one of them is a um, red brick archway that used to be the archway into a little like garden to one of the (laughs) wealthy landowners houses but that all has been torn down so now it's literally just an archway and it kind of serves as like a, a piece of art but if you go through it and look down to the left there is what looks like a a basement storm cellar door And that takes you through the old, what used to be like the old plumbing of the town that is now turned into just underground passageways to get you from one place to another. Okay. Yeah. So Claire, I I think you do make it to this passageway, this storm cellar that leads into the old sewer tunnels. And as you're descending the steps downward, you can hear the growing chorus of wails as the screaming fog makes landfall around you or sort of sweeps in around you. But you throw shut the door. It won't hold forever because you haven't inscribed the proper sigils, but it'll buy you enough time. And you start, you know, making your way down this narrow claustrophobic sewer tunnel. And as you do, it starts to slant downward in a way that I think you're not necessarily familiar with if you've used this passage before. 
And as you're traveling, you slip on a slick section and go sliding down what is now a sort of almost water slide tunnel. It takes several twists and turns. It's completely pitch black in here, so you have really no idea where you're winding up. And then finally, you can see a light up ahead, and you go sliding out of, um, let's see, community pool or abandoned water park. Okay. What do we think is more interesting? You could actually combine the two. Up here, the community, the city-run community pool is also a water park. They have like a whole section that's like a kid's water park and it has a water slide and all that. So you could do both. Yeah. And you come sliding out of the tube of what used to be part of the old water park. It was decommissioned and the pool was tarped over. And that abandoned section of town was sort of subsumed into the back alley. The non-Euclidean network of alleyways, side streets, tunnels, sewers, and narrow, abandoned, claustrophobic places of town that are all sort of connected in this four-dimensional space. You're standing at the bottom of the pool, you know, maybe a foot of standing water. Uh, It's pretty fetid. It's got a bit of an odor to it. There are bits of the decommissioned water park piled up in this pool, and there's no one in the immediate vicinity. What do you do? I want to look around and see if I see another path, like an exit out. Yeah, give me a roll to assess reality. Plus wits. Plus wits. Oh, boy. We're just really going with all of Claire's worst (laughs) qualities here. What is a roll that is worse than the one I just did? I think that'd have to be a one, boss. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. So on a miss, you might reveal crucial information or the GM might have you ask two questions, but give you some or all of the answers that are inaccurate. <laughs> I like that. In I, I do too, and I've used it often. In absurdity, what happens on a miss for basic moves are suggestions, not requirements. So I'm going to go all a cart here. <laughs> because I think as you are looking around, Claire... You feel something brush up against your foot in this murky water. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to swat at it with my rendering nails. Yeah, give me a roll to fight for your life. When you directly engage a threat, roll plus pluck. These are some interesting rolls. That one is a 12. Okay. Uh, I'm just, I'm, ma- I'm min-maxing here. <laughs> There's no in between. I mean, every playbook no is... No middle sliders. Every playbook is good at some things and bad at other things. And you're good at fighting chaotically. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So, fight for your life. On a 7 to 9, you and your opponent trade harm as established. And on a 10 plus, you get to choose an extra effect. These are going to sound a little familiar. They're pretty standard for a lot of PBTA games. You inflict plus one harm. You suffer minus one harm. You get plus one forward or you get to give it to another character. There's no one else around, so that one's not going to (laughs) work. You take something from them or you force them where you want them. What do your rending claws look like exactly? Tell me what this looks like for your character. So I kind of think of it like cat claws in that regularly... They look pretty normal. They look like a very nice French manicure, and but they have what looks like some sort of horrific appropriation in nail design because it almost looks like it's like henna tattoo or something on the nails. Like there's like some 
inscription in in a language that Claire clearly doesn't know. And you're like, ooh, where did you get that? Were you on vacation kind of thing? Um, <laughs> you're really leaning into making Claire the worst, aren't you? <laughs> of course. Claire is the worst. But the symbol is actually an old ruin from, from her entropic horror. And so what happens is like when she wants to engage her nails, her rending nails, you basically see that symbol on her nails light up. It kind of like does like a glowing effect mm-hmm. in, a, in like a puke green. And then her nails extend like a cat's claws do. But the moment they start extending outward, they look like those like creepy old dead lady nails that are just like cracked and gray and not pleasant to look at at all and they get maybe two inches long yikes sharp these claws extend outward and you uh, drive them down into the water i think you're you know you're slashing about not randomly but wildly and you start to tear out these bits of polychromatic pastel polyurethane pale orange and and pink and yellow and like lime green and you start to get bigger bits of rubber and plastic coming out and as you do this there's a sound kind of like something deflating and coming up from the water is a massive tentacle-like appendage that is formed entirely of discarded pool supplies and this massive squid-like tendril rears back and slams down on you and you're gonna take two harm cool 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 and what was your extra effect i would like to take something from them what would you like to take i want to just like reach into it and pull out something from the middle of it okay yeah as this thing pulls away as you're slashing at it you just reach your hand in and pull out what what do you pull out Uh, I think I pull out the netting that they use to gather all of the beach balls. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Uh, Okay, yeah, so you pull that out. And like, I think several other pieces of this tentacle sort of fall away. You get the sense that that was kind of binding it together. It's still moving, but it's lost a lot of its structure. Hmm. As this happens, it, I think it slammed down and it is now sort of reared back now that you've you've pulled this away. You can hear disturbances, ripples, waves in other parts of this pool as the water begins to move. But I am not like pinned down or anything. I'm I'm No, you're you're in the clear right now. I would like to use this rope as a lasso and like identify with a hook hanging from the ceiling or a light fixture or something like I want to lasso this rope structure thing to one of those and then swing across to try to get to a the closest door that I can find that isn't the one I came in. Sure. So you're at the bottom of this pool. So I don't know if there's anything to necessarily like hook and swing, but I do think, you know, you could run to the edge and hook it onto like, there's those little nubs on the sides of pools oftentimes where they oh, you yes. know, hang things. So you could use it to sort of scale out if you'd like. Ooh, yes. Yes. I want to do that. Okay. Yeah. Give me a roll to save your skin. Uh-huh. Are we sure that isn't a, um, oh, never mind. There's no other way to put that. Okay. Yeah. When you take advantage of an opening to run, hide, or otherwise evade danger. Yeah. Don't forget, you know, if you would like, you can push yourself so you can roll three dice instead of two and discard the lowest. 
I might do that. Okay, I'm gonna push myself. Yeah. Then if I push myself, I uh, mark one of your essence, which for your playbook is vestige, uh, and then yes. you get to roll three and discard the lowest. And when I mark vestige, I also avoid harm from an attack. That's one of my things. Okay. That's a little. It's slightly different. You can also mark vestige to uh, like when you took that two oh, harm, you I could see, mark vestige to avoid all of that. I'm just gonna tell you that I rolled a one, a one, and a four. <laughs> Gosh. And I have a minus one to wits. So that is going to be a four. <laughs> On a miss, you might find yourself in an even worse predicament. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? I mean, wait, no, we swear on this. Yeah, we swear you heard all the me. time. Claire, I think you get to the side of this pool and you heave the net over and, and snare it on something. And you're, you're about halfway up when a massive tendril of pool supplies just rakes the side of the pool and dislodges your, your net. And you fall back into the pool and the net falls with you and you're, you're snared up in the net. Cool, cool, cool. I said the water was a foot deep, so... No, I, w- I won't put you underwater as well. That's too much, but... If I drown in a foot of water... And as in. you fall back, tangled up in this net into the pool, you can see that there are now five of these massive squid-like tendrils of pool supplies that have emerged from numerous drains and pipes in this fetid pool. What do you do? I would like to get out of the pool... Clearly, I'm ensnared in this rope situation. What's happening with the tentacle right now? There's now five of them. They're all sort of closing in on you from various positions in the pool. I say, you know, you can't beat them, join them. Let's see what happens. (laughs) I'd like to roll myself onto a tentacle just to see what it does. (laughs) Bet you didn't expect that. Uh... As a fan of my character, you can tell me that this is a death sentence if you want. I, I, there's a part of me that's like, how do we know the tentacle's bad? <laughs> yeah. We're just assuming. As, yeah, as, as a fan of your character, I, I think based on this thing's interaction with you thus far, it's probably going to try to crush you to death. I mean, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm wrapped up in the netting, right? Yes. Which was originally a part of the tentacle. Yes. Does the netting look like anything other than netting now that it's on me? Like, is it moving kind of like a, does it still seem like it's a part of the tentacle or is it just netting now? Uh, I mean, it's not moving on its own. All right. Okay. Are you trying to like get this thing to reabsorb you? I, I'm trying. So I have two different, uh, two different ideas here. <laughs> okay. One of yeah. them would Sorry. be Go swaying ahead. and one of them would be hoodwinking. So the hoodwinking would be, I am now wrapped in the scent of this tentacle, and it therefore probably should not think that I am a threat anymore. It should think that I am part of itself, which may work out better for me in a Moby Dick, or not Moby Dick, in like a Pinocchio swallowed by the whale but still alive kind of way. So that's one option. The other thing I'm thinking is to actually try to sway this thing, which in which case I would lightly caress the netting (laughs) as i start to talk to the (laughs) tentacle monster like hey i came into your world this is your place i'm with you that like i shouldn't be here yeah so usually sway only works on npcs uh so it wouldn't work on this is a not to get too deep into the nits and grits of the game but uh this is a threat, and it's specifically a uh, monster. So I think in the fiction, your strategy to hoodwink is probably more likely to succeed. Okay. 
So then I think what I do is I play dead with the netting on me to hopefully be camouflaged. Yeah. So I don't think we've done a hoodwink yet, actually, which is surprising given the three of you. (laughs) When you lie, mislead, or trick someone or something to achieve your ends, roll plus cheek. On a 10 plus, they are fooled, at least for the time being. On a 7 to 9, your ploy works, but the GM will introduce a complication or consequence. And on a miss, you might find yourself caught, trapped, or otherwise in hot water. Or fetid pool water. All right. Yeah, so go ahead and give me a roll plus cheek. Yes, it will. Uh, And just as as a reminder, I have unfathomable, so when my expressions and countenance are forever alien and unknowable... I get to roll plus chaos instead of plus cheek. Okay. Hell to the yeah. Okay. Yeah, so give me a roll plus chaos. Okay, that's an 11. And a 10 plus, they are fooled at least for the time being. Claire, you you just sort of cocoon up in this net, and I think these tendrils come snaking in one by one. There's an inhale and exhale from a partially deflated inner tube at the end of one of them, and you get the distinct sense of, like, a creature smelling something, and then one of the tendrils wraps around the net, and you are taken in to the creature. 